Um, as a church, we, we have three gatherings across a Sunday at the moment. We have this gathering, uh, and at the same time as us right now over in New Lynn, our New Lynn gathering is happening with um, Vivek and his wonderful crew at Dayspring. If you're ever over that way, feel free to visit and say hello. And then later on tonight at 4 p.m. in Grey Lynn, we have our Grey Lynn gathering, which happens at Community Hall. So welcome to the 10 a.m. Epsom gathering. It's good to have you all here. Um, and as a church, we are going through a series at the moment that we just started last week. The series is called Be With, Be Like. And if anyone else watched the rugby last night, you'll notice that this is kind of a wallaby theme that I was really unintentional, didn't mean to do that. But um, Be With, Be Like. We started last Sunday. And if you are new today, um, and missed last week, and you didn't grab one of our little prayer companions, uh, they are just by the door, and we'd love you to help yourself to one of these, either you'll get it now if you want, or um, just as you're leaving today. This is just a way to spend more time with what we're trying to call and uh, call us into as a community, but also the vision of the series, which is to abide with God and to become like Christ. And so we would love you to grab one of these and give us a go. And what this series is, is trying to do is it's trying to sort of have a bit more of a grown up and robust conversation about the fruit of the Spirit that is in Galatians chapter 5. And so this whole series is moving through each of the fruit of the Spirit. And today we are starting with the first one, which is the fruit of love. Dave, this is um, not clicking for me so well, buddy. I have to give you this look, okay? We are going to be looking at love. So, welcome to the first of the fruit of the Spirit. Last week was the introduction. If you missed that, have a listen on the website, get caught up. But today is love. So, I want to invite you to stand, and we're going to do our opening reading today, which is a reading from John chapter 15, 1 to 17. Now, if you are here last week, you're going to say, hang on, that was last week's reading. Um, yeah, we're doing it again, because to repeat sometimes is a good thing. And so today, we're going to be reading John 15. This time we're going to be reading from the New Living Translation, and this is the text for today. We stand to honor it with our bodies to show that we value it, that we honor it, that it's an authority in our lives. So John 15, Jesus said this, I am the true grapevine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit, and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so that they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message that I've given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile and to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples and this brings great glory to my Father. I have loved you even as the Father loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. And this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. No, 
Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything that the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and to produce lasting fruit, so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Amen. Grab a seat. Jesus is using a spectacular word picture here, a metaphor that we talked about last week. The metaphor is trying to get us to see a reality. It's this. We are to abide in love. Live in love. Remain in love. Not just any love, though, the love of the Father. And in doing so, you yourself will be loved. And you will learn how to bear that love into the world. But but what do we mean when we actually say love? What's coming to mind as I even just say that word out loud today for you? We love certain foods. We love the way an outfit looks on a person. We love a new album from our favorite band. We watch shows on TV of strangers who are put together to find love whether in some sort of set-up marriage or on an island with other competitors where no one seems to know the rule of keep a shirt on. The constant theme is I'm trying to find love. Some of us in the room today, we are in love with someone. Some of us have been. Maybe that love has gone. Some of us want to be desperately in love with someone. We use love as a synonym to be kind to other people. We use love as a posture to say, I don't agree with you, but I accept you anyway. Or the other side of this is if you are someone who wants to be accepted and no one is extending that love to you, then you come to a conclusion maybe, that person doesn't love me. Sometimes sex is just sex. Sometimes sex is lovemaking. A parent loves their child, and so they will do anything for that child. They provide every need. They work extra hours. They lose sleep. They give up on their own dreams even. They lose a part of themselves. All because of what? Because of love. We all want to be loved. We all want to be in love. The Beatles were dead right when they wrote, all we need is love. But what love? What love? Let's put this all into a bit of a spectrum to consider. I think these are all legitimate words and definitions of love, but I think it's a little bit of a spectrum. Bottom left, let's start down there. A low bar definition of love would be to define it as appreciation. Appreciation. I think the first step of self-love is to appreciate yourself. But also think of the times we say love in the context of appreciating things every day. Man, I love electric chicken's cheeseburger. Anyone else? That is the knockout cheeseburger at the moment. I love what you have done with your hair, Julie. I love the city. Last night we had the Tane event and after, the, after we watched the rugby, all these people are walking past on their way back from Eden Park and the city's like buzzing. I love this city. I love the vibe. Oh, I love how a person looks. I love how my wife looks, that's for sure. 
Woo. <laughs> but it's all a definition of appreciation. I'm appreciating that thing. I think love is, I think that's part of love. But if we just stop there, that's a very shallow definition. Next one up there. Love as acceptance. This is a bit of a mid-range definition of love. You know, if self-love starts with having to appreciate yourself, it then moves to accepting yourself. You have to accept yourself. And apply to other people. We have to maybe accept, accept people or even validate them. And like I said before, you know, maybe, maybe it's you don't agree with them, but you choose to accept them anyway. Maybe it's a transaction of some kind. I love you because you make me feel good. This is the sort of next layer of love. Love has this acceptance and validation layer to it. But again, still quite shallow, not good enough. Again, these are parts of love. I'm not saying they're not. I'm just saying these are parts of dialing it up to a better goal. Number three, next one up, love as passion. A passion towards another person. A feeling of deep affection. A feeling that says, I love you so much, I would do anything for you. Something that's deep in our gut, something that's romantic, something that's passionate, something that can't maybe be put just to words. But lastly, the top definition of love up in the top right corner of the spectrum there. The greatest definition of love is not just ending at a passion or a deep feeling or emotion. A greater definition of love is this, the active giving of oneself. Not just I love you so much that I would, it's I love you so much that I am. I love you so much that I have given. The highest calling of love is to die to yourself. I was at a wedding yesterday, the minister was doing the homily and his number one bit of advice out of the blocks was marriage is a form of death. I thought, <laughs> he's right. Dying to oneself, dying to oneself, bit by bit by bit. It's the highest call of love. A biblical definition of love Thanks, Dave. You have to keep with me, buddy. A biblical definition of love is this. God incarnate is the self-revealing nature of a self-giving God who is love. Jesus Christ, the Word who became flesh, is the self-revealing nature of a self-giving God who is love. So just hold on for a moment while I just flesh this out a little bit because um, that's a pretty big statement to make. So next slide there, Dave. Um, I'm just going to sort of sit in the lane of our reading from today, which is from John. Here's a few more scriptures from John just to paint the picture of what I've just said there, okay? Firstly, John is the one who says and makes this proposition in his first letter. In verses four, oh, sorry, in chapter four, verse eight and 16, he makes that statement, God is love. You might've heard that one, God is love. It's John who says that. But his, his answer to that statement actually is filled out beautifully within his gospel and the other gospels as well. Firstly, the way we can fill that out is that it's implied in the address of Jesus to God as his father. His father, this brings in an intimate set of language into the dynamic here. This is the language of family with all of its overtones of love and care and intimacy. For Jesus to show up and call God Father, this is a game changer. We're gonna talk about that a little bit more in a second. 
Secondly, it's shown through God's action. I mean, in John 3.16, a verse so many of us will know, God so loved the world that he gave or sent his son. Look at the motive. For God loved the world so much that he did this, he acted. Or, or in John 15, as we read today as well, it says the same thing. The Father already did this. He already chose this and put this into action. This is this acting love. God has first loved us, first, before we could even try. There's an action involved. There's a dynamic play that's going on here. And it's not just that acceptance love either. It's not that first, that bottom level I showed you before. This is full-blown everything in, all chips on the table. He moved towards humankind first. The Father loves the Son, it says in John chapter 3. So Jesus takes this love of the Father that for him is so foundational. It's the reason for all things. And just as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you, he says. And then he fleshes this out a little bit more. Again, he um, adds a bit more color to it. So for this reason, the Father loves me that I lay down my life. Again, notice how high on the standard of love this is. This is going all in. It's not just validation, although we do find that in the life of Jesus. This is going straight to the top. It's that top shelf definition. One who is giving himself. Actively giving oneself. There's a similar appeal from the love of the Father as a foundational um, for Jesus to this great prayer that he prays in John 17. It's the last little bit on the slide there. But Jesus prays that the world may know that you sent me and have loved me as I have loved them. It starts to transfer just from Jesus to those around him. He starts to say, I hope that they too will love like I am in love with you, Father. As I have loved you, this is the language that implies that there's meant to be done demonstratively. It's meant to be shown. It's meant to be out there. It's meant to happen. And we too, we too are meant to live in the Father's love and demonstrate it. Maybe nothing shows the revelation of God's love more than when we see it clearest on the cross. This is biblical love. God himself, fully submitted, self-submitted, entering into the violence and corrupt power systems and chaos of the day. Not overpowering them by force or by might, not even miraculously sidestepping them, Entering in as love, as the bloody and beaten servant acting on behalf of all of creation. I found myself drawn in the last couple of years to the icons and the artwork of the crucifixion where it's just total chaos. You know, the really clean ones are kind of just not doing it for me anymore. I need these ones, these ones that are just full of action and noise to remind me that this is what love looked like. It entered into the full chaos of brokenness, all of it. As the hymn that we sang today said, on the Mount of Crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Gracious love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above and heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in Love. All of this is done within the summary, the vessel, the container, love. Now, Brad Jerzak, in his book, A More Christ-Like God, he says, God is love plus nothing. God is love plus nothing. We had Brad Jerzak come and share here a couple of years ago. Some of you might remember that. 
What Brad is saying here is a really important thing to get our heads around. God's love is not divided equally amongst something else. So sometimes what people like to do is they like to say, God is love. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you, but he's also really angry. He's also wrath. And they kind of hold two things up, like God is some sort of schizophrenic. God is love, but he's also truth. I'm going to bring the truth bomb. Like it's two different things. But what Jerzak is saying here is a deep theological idea that we need to get our heads around. God is love plus nothing. God is love. So what do we do with all those other things? Well, here's what we do with them. They are expressions of his love. They are the characteristics of his love. Uh, I love the next slide here. Jerzak used this idea of a diamond. A diamond in its essence is a diamond, yet it has these facets. And he said, this is what God's love is like. God is, in essence, love. But yet there's these different facets where different things are seen through different reflections and reflections. So yeah, God is love, but he's also, in his love, beauty, and in his love, truth, and in his love, justice, and in his love, holy, and in his love, righteous, and in his love, patience. It's all sitting in there. And it's all in this, this vessel of love. And when we say that God goes beyond boundaries, he doesn't leave this diamond. Rather, it's the boundaries of those facets that can't capture everything. It's the boundaries of each facet that can only contain one idea. And so for us to say that God's love is boundaryless is to say, yes, God's love is truth, but it's also beauty and it's also merciful and it's also compassionate. It moves around these different ideas. As we said already today, as we already prayed in Ephesians 3, Paul prays this beautiful prayer about how wide, how high, how long, how deep the love of God is. It goes beyond the boundaries that we can kind of set up for all of this. It moves beyond that. Or as I love it's put in this other hymn, we, we didn't sing this today, but I love this hymn. It's one of my favorites. The love of God. This is verse two. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? Well, let's turn that into normal English, okay? So if the ocean was full of ink, if the sky was a giant parchment, if every stalk that was on earth was a quill, like a, like a you know one to dip in the ink, and if every person on earth had one of those quills, this is what it goes on to say. To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. Oh, we need to write more songs like that. Wow. So back to where we started. God's love is not just how much appreciation he has of you. God's love is not just a validation or an acceptance. All of that's in there. I'm not taking that off the table. It's in there. But it's more than that. God's love is his very essence of his being. God is so deeply affectionate towards us as his creation that he has acted first in the most generous, self-giving way beyond borders of just one idea, whether it's justice or holiness or patience or whatever, to demonstrate and make himself one with us graciously and compassionately. Maybe the best way to sum this up is to go to the words of the psalmists who said this repeatedly, the Lord is merciful and compassionate. He's slow to get angry and filled with unfailing 
love. The psalmists, this, this is multiple times throughout the Psalms, you'll find this all over the place. The psalmist is just quoting God. Next slide. This is from Exodus 34, verse 6, where Yahweh says to Moses, Yahweh the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. All that to say today, if you can remember one thing from that last 10 minutes, I would love you to remember these one, two, three, four, five, six words. The essence of God is love. The essence of God is love. And so if that's God's revealed nature to love to, uh, love to us all, then how do we connect into that? Well, this is where Jesus' metaphor of abiding in love is absolutely crucial. Because to respond to love is to do exactly that. We abide in it. We abide in it. Abiding is all about connection. It's, it's actually not totally passive. There's actually work to do in abiding because we have to learn to make the connections that will work. But when we get those connections just right, when we practice those connections and we get them so that they are working, the work of abiding can be done and it can be done beautifully. So we must practice abiding by simply thinking of it as this, practicing connection. You know, we need to work on making spaces that help us to receive the love that has already been given by God. And for the Orthodox Christian faith of 2,000 years now, the way that the church has practiced this has to do various practices. Here they are. Here's some of the ones that help us to practice making a connection of receiving God's love for us. Prayer, worship, fasting, Bible reading, Sabbath, silence, solitude. These are just some of them, but these are practices which wake us up, build the connection so that we may abide with God. Now, none of these practices are the end goal. The idea to be a great Christian is not just to become a great person at one of those things, to smash it out of the park. No, they are all means of abiding in love. That's the point. They are the means to an end. The end is love, receiving God's love, sharing God's love. So let's just take prayer as the first example here. Jesus teaches that we are to begin our prayer with our Father. So of all of the opening addresses that he could have taught us to pray, of all of the things he could have started this thing with, what did he choose? Our Father. And if we just go back to all those scriptures earlier, it makes sense, right? This was Jesus' loving, dynamic relationship with his God, with Yahweh. It was as a father. And so he is now telling us, he is telling all of us, you too can come in the exact same way. Now, the Aramaic word here is the word Abba. And Abba means, it's, it's just a word of affection. It means love. It means um, to gaze upon a beloved. It means to be, um, it's a word of intimacy. And so if God isn't Abba, it shows us that he's something else. And so if you pray and you can't start with Abba, maybe God's still just a theory. Or if you pray and you can't start with Abba, maybe God is just an angry, rule-keeping authoritarian in the sky. See, Jesus giving us this word saying, this is how you can start to pray, is to draw us into this. We can come and experience the love of God. 
that should be the normal practice of prayer. That's what all prayer should do. Prayer should wake us up to knowing that God loves us. Next slide there, Dave. Ronald Rollheiser says, you must try to pray so that in your prayer, you open yourself in such a way that sometime, perhaps not today, but sometime, you are able to hear God say to you, I love you. These words addressed to you by God are the most important words that you will ever hear because before you hear them, nothing is ever completely right with you. But after you hear them, something will be right in your life at a very deep level. I could go on with those other practices, but all I want to say is that all of these practices are means to an end to hear God say, I love you. Bible reading. Bible reading is not just some sort of text and academic exercise. The reason we read the scriptures is to encounter the story of a God who is in love with us. Sung worship. It's not just some weird karaoke moment together on Sunday. It's pretty weird if that's all you think it is. <laughs> it's a moment of exchanging love. Silence and solitude where we strip away from our busyness and we simply be with God and some sort of mystical experience can happen where we sense God's posture towards us, loving us, even without words, even without songs, just simply because we are being with Him. Just to be clear, this, this work, this work of connection all has a reason and that is to hear God say, I love you. And maybe if practices feel religious to you, that's the key that you need to unlock this thing with. It is about hearing him say, I love you. Next slide, Dave. And then if that's our input, that's what's coming in, then we have an output. The series is called Be With, Be Like. What we are with, we will become like. What we abide in, we will start to bear. That is the rhythm of this metaphor. So we too, if we abide in that love, will start to produce and bear that love into the world. Now, as I've already explored a little bit earlier, you know, culturally, love is meaning all kinds of things. It's being used as a word to say so many different things, like I appreciate you, or I accept you, or I'm really, really, really hot for you. Uh, that, was a, that was a weird thing to say out loud uh, to all of you today. Um, I've realized that now. <laughs> Should have practiced this part of my sermon. Um, cut that. Just really, um, no. <laughs> Maybe it's a synonym for be kind. So which one are we talking about? What, what love are we meant to bear? What are we meant to bear into the world? Well, to form our answer, I want to ask a rhetorical question. And the question is this. Is there nine fruit of the Spirit, or is there just one? Is there nine fruit of the Spirit, or is there just one? Next slide there, Dave. In, in Galatians, the text that this is all sitting in, the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It, it sounds like a list, doesn't it? Nine things. But yet that list, that list sounds very familiar to 1 Corinthians 13, where Paul says this, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never, love never loses faith. It is always hopeful, endures through every circumstance. The fruit of the Spirit are all sitting in that. They're all just sitting in that same list. And here, here is Paul saying it's all love. 
Well, last week I used a quote from D.L. Moody. I just want to remind you of that quote. D.L. Moody said this, Joy is love exalting. Peace is love reposing. Long-suffering is love untiring. Meekness is love under discipline. He's just using the word love every time to say, each of these other fruit of the Spirit are characteristics of this one thing. It is all love. If God is love plus nothing, we too are meant to be the same. Love is meant to be the big vessel and container that holds all of this for us. Can we too live out this holistic version of love? Is it possible? Can love be defined by those things for us? Is that how we can see it? Because that is how the Apostle Paul is trying to get us to see it. This is what love looks like. It's marked by those things. Okay, to answer this, I want to get out of lofty thought. I want to get out of like theology and lists. I want to try and get down into real life. Write down where it's going to matter in about an hour's time. When you're not here, you're wherever you're next. Hopefully this will apply. This week, um, Pete Scazzaro, who is the um, founder of the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course that we're about to start running shortly. Pete Scazzaro is a legend. If you're looking for a voice that's going to help call you to Christian maturity, he has to be one of the leading ones around in the world, definitely. But he put up on Instagram earlier this week this little Instagram post. He said this, you know you're not experiencing loving union with Jesus when you, and then he listed a bunch of stuff. Just take a little mental check of this one as we go through. You know you're not experiencing loving union with Jesus when you can't shake the pressure you feel from having too much to do in too little time. When you are always rushing. When you routinely fire off quick opinions and judgments. When you are often fearful about the future. When you are overly concerned with what others think when you are defensive and easily offended, when you are routinely preoccupied and distracted, when you are consistently ignoring the stress, anxiety, and tightness of your body, when you feel unenthusiastic or threatened by the success of others, when you routinely spend more time talking than listening. Pete says, you know you're not experiencing the loving union with Jesus when you notice these symptoms. These symptoms are showing you something is not right elsewhere. I just want to turn this list into a positive. You are experiencing, you know you're experiencing the loving union of Jesus when you, and I've just tried to turn his statements into positive ones, when you are internally steady, when you are not hurried, when you are slow to speak, when you are hopeful, when you know your identity in God, when you can take feedback as a gift, when you are present at the, uh, to the moment, when your body is at ease, and if not, you know what to do, when you celebrate others, and when you listen. See, this is real life stuff. This is the sort of thing we can walk out and actually apply and go, doing this is living in love. Love is a life filled in the fullness of fruitfulness. It's the ability to forever pursue life towards the other in this kind of way. And Peter's making it all seem pretty straightforward, actually. This is how a good life amongst others can look, lived in love. can look like that. Maybe um, you know this person, Mother Teresa or St. Teresa of Calcutta. Well, she famously said this. You might know this saying. There are no great things. There's only small things with great love. Happy are those. Is that familiar? Some of you heard that quote? 
Well, what you might know about the story here is that Mother Teresa, um, she's a nun. When you are a nun, you take vows and you actually take on a new name. So she wasn't born Saint Teresa. And so when she took her vows and took on her name, she actually took on the name of this woman, Saint Teresa of Lisieux who had been around maybe like 30 or 40 decades before she took her vows, this young woman. And she said this, miss no single opportunity of making some small sacrifice, here by a smiling look, there by a kindly word, always doing the smallest right and doing it all for love. These saints whether you've heard of them or not. These saints are portraits of people who have received the love of God in such amazing ways and lived it out in such amazing ways that they get given this title by the church. They are saints. Portraits of what it could look like to live this life of that high goal of love, giving your life away. These saints who you'd expect to have really big, profound things to say, have made it quite simple for us. Hey, do some small things, but do them all in love. We can all do that, right? We can all do that. These great saints give us a portrait of life lived. Not just their photos there today, but of a life of faithfulness and love. But here's the best bit. There's actually a bit of saint in all of us. There's a saint in all of us waiting to be formed. We're all called saints by God. He sees us as holy and he's set us apart. And we're called to work to this calling of great love to mature in that love. This is not just for those that were on the slides earlier. This is for all of us. We are all to richly experience this great love of God and in turn, live it generously into the world. Live it greatly with God. We are all called to be with and be like. And so, with that bit of saint that's in you. Today's blessing is this. May you be with God, this God who is love. And may your love be like that love. I'm done. But several weeks ago, um, several weeks ago I was speaking here. Uh, the talk was on seeking God. And about two-thirds of the way through, uh, I went really quiet and kind of didn't have words for about a minute. Some of you were here? Yeah. I, um, I've been trying to put words to what that moment was. Just sort of stuck here with this warm sense of the Spirit of God running through my body in a way that I have not had in years, which may sound really appalling to you as a pastor of a church, but it's true. 
I was just standing here, so close to bawling my face off with tears, just about to lose the plot, just overcome with love. And there's this moment in Matthew 9 where it says that Jesus was filled with compassion and he looked out across this culture and he saw the chaos and the confusion and he just lamented and said that they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he said, so pray for the harvest. The harvest is plentiful, but pray for harvest hands. And I feel like for my journey that standing in that moment about a month ago, being awkwardly quiet in front of all of you, it was like this moment of receiving and experiencing the compassion of God so deeply in my being that I have not been able to shake it since. And let me tell you, it's changed my prayer life. It's changed the way I chase after doing things that I want to do in the world. It's re-motivated me. It's reoriented me. It's given me new ways to see. I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm still stuffing up as I even try and stumble my way in fulfilling those things. But, but I've, it's like there's a, new, a whole new being in me. Unfortunately, some of you just got to see it happen. <laughs> I wish it was just quiet and private, just between me and Jesus with a cup of coffee in the morning, but it wasn't. It was here. All that to say, uh, that moment of receiving God's love and compassion was incredibly powerful for me. And I just wonder today if there's just a sense that some of us want to move out of that sense of just knowing God as a, as a mental arithmetic or knowing God because it's a thing I've always done. And return to this call of knowing him as Abba. The one who is loving you. Loving you. Loving you. The one who is compassionate to you. Compassionate to you. Compassionate to you. The one who is gracious. So merciful. I don't want to cry. (laughs) This is who he calls us to know him as. And the motto of this church is pursuing Jesus and playing our part right now. And if I could ask you of anything, I'd say don't wait for tomorrow or the next week or the next month to sort of move into that type of relationship with God. Just treat today as the day it is. It's the gift of the day of the Lord to do that now. To look at him as your lover and to let him look at you and love you back. And to love him in return with worship and goodness lived into the world. So with that, I want to invite you to stand. Etu. And uh, Donald, do you want to come and play something? And there's some people in our church today that I know, just, I just know there's some of you today, you just need to respond to God's love today, just afresh. And so I just want to invite you to do that, just really simply, I just want to invite you to come into the middle here and stand amongst the middle. And there's some people here that I know will, will love this moment to prophesy and encourage and to speak into people's lives and pray for people. I'd love to just let you go for that today. Love people with your, your kind actions with the fruit of the Spirit and the, gift of the gifts of the Spirit today. But I do want to invite you to, to come and to consider God as the lover for you. And if he's not that, if you can't say Abba, why is that? You might just need to come and just respond to his invitation. Just stand there with your hands up and just see what God might do with your response. You might want to come and kneel, take a knee and confess of the ways in which you've tried to 
find uh, a filling of that love and acceptance and work in other ways. You might want to kneel. You might want to come and stand and sort of with your shoulders back and your hands up high and just offer your love to God afresh. I don't know how you're going to respond. But I do think that there's a need for that today. A need just to respond to our lover, our God, who has first loved us, has first done this. He's already made the first move. The question is, what's our response?